Okay, this morning we're going to talk about um, what is the true Christian's walk? How, where and how is he to walk? And so this is going to be revealed, and we're going to turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians 5, <clears throat> and verse 1, says, Be you therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself, notice that, has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then you can follow that all the way down through and you can see, if you, if you desire to read that for yourself, all the way down to the end of that chapter and how it flows. But here also we see in 1 John and we'll turn to first. I'll read that in First John chapter four. First John four says in verse ten, "Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, the propitiation for our sins." And we see in verse nineteen, and you can follow that down again through in your own reading. In verse nineteen, it says, "We love Him." What was the cause? <coughs> He first loved us. So again, when we look at these things, we see how incredible they are and how the Word of God is that thing that God uses and the only one that He uses through His Son, who is the Word, to give us this incredible truth that He's already made ours. And so again, this is a very beautiful uh, thing to understand in, in all of its uh, purity. And we see it in such a way that um, it's expressed in such a beautiful way. And then we can even see the operation of that love when you read John the 13th chapter and you read those 35 verses in John 13, even it says in 13.1, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. The end there would be their time, <clears throat> their time on earth, soon to be in the eternity of his presence. And again, in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, it says, And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Of God. Now, unto him that is able. Notice he's our ability. And our reliability is his supernatural ability that always is his love that flows out in incredible wisdom. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. And thank God that he's always doing in us through his love, in his wisdom, always giving us and loving us far beyond what we've even reached. And thank God for that truth. So when we look at this, when we look at the fifth chapter, and when John even says in 1 John 2, 6, if we, if we say we abide in him, we should walk in him. And to walk in him literally means that we have been positioned in Christ. We've been positioned in him. Now, how do we walk in him who is love? How do we walk in in this love. And this is an amazing thing to understand. Now, 
again, in, in, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, again, there are two things that we're going to bring out that God wants us to understand in the counsel of his love for us, in the purity of that nature, are two things. They have to do with our intimate relationship with Christ. The first is love. The two descriptions that God uses to describe himself is love and light. Now, again, we see in Ephesians 5, 1, <clears throat> Be you therefore followers of God, who is God? In 1 John 4, 10, okay, and, and, and 1 John 4, 8 and 16, who is God? God is love. And so we're to walk in love. We're to walk in that, of course, being uh, in the place of Christ being in us and us being in him. Then it goes on to say this. Then it goes right into these amazing truths where we see this in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, again in verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness. In other words, prior to our salvation, we walked in darkness. We were under the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. In John 12 and 31 and 14.30, he was the very God of this world. And that God, in that sense, prior to salvation and can still be the case with no teaching or bad teaching. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, and again there in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, it speaks of the religious God of this world. See, God is not a God of religion. He's a God of relationship. That relationship that, we, that is ours in Christ has been made through the love and the light of God's nature manifested and expressed in and through his precious Son. So we see in, in Ephesians 5 and verse 8, for you, all of us that are now in Christ, were sometimes darkness, but separated. And that word but is very beautiful. Again, it's a, it's a contrasting conjunction. The contrast is we were in darkness, now we're in light. And the but also, it separates. It separates. The conjunction separates. We're separated completely from that. Nothing about us of the old natural life has anything to do in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 with the new nature, the new image that is ours in Christ. This again has been accomplished by the very nature of God, something only he could do according to his love and his light. But now it says in Ephesians 5, verse 8, are you light where? In the Lord, walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. This is brought out again, and we will see it again, in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. When we turn there and, and, and read that, we get a beautiful uh, preponderance of God's counsel and the incredible love and light that is ours in Him. Okay, it says this, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1, it says, But of the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. The times and the seasons. Here, the times and the season, in one particular case, and, and truthfully, this does have to do with prophecy in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. So when it says this, the times and the seasons, yes, there's times and seasons of what God's doing in terms of prophecy on the earth, but there are times and seasons where he's working in us because we're positioned in Christ, 
And he's working in our experience what he's already worked out about us because love has accomplished everything. And the light comes out and reveals the purity of what love has accomplished. Many times we have said, and we say it, and when I say we, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit has taught us through the word that the very active nature of God, the activity of his nature is love. The purity of his nature is light. Now, when we look at this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1 again, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord, that always speaks of judgment. None for us, though, right? Because Christ has been judged in our place. And that's why the Bible teaches us that Christ, not only he died for us and paid for all of our sins, but he died as us. And that truth is brought out in Romans, the sixth chapter, and in those first 14 verses. But here it says, for ourselves, for, for yourselves know how perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as the thief in the night. For when they will say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, but not upon us, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape, meaning having refused Jesus Christ, having refused him as the Savior, they will never escape that sudden destruction that will come upon them, because we know that in John 10, 10a, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but they refuse Christ, but I have come that they might have life and have that abundant life, something that you and I have in Christ based upon the love and light of God himself. And so it says here in verse 4, but you, brethren, but we are completely separated from all of that judgment and destruction. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. That's our position. Placed in Christ, who is what? He is the light. Do you remember what, what the message was in terms of the fellowship that is brought out clearly that's ours in Christ in 1 John 1, 1 through 3? The message then was in 1 John 1, 5, that in him is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Now, if we don't have the light, if we don't have the proper teaching, if we don't have that, the purity of the nature of Christ, do we walk in love experientially? And of course, there's no way that, we, that, that any of us could. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Right? Because the thief comes to what? To steal, kill, and what? Destroy. But Christ, we have that life, and we have it abundantly. We have that abundant life. And now we have it in our own individuality, not only life, but the abundance of that, but also in terms of fellowship, we experience it in greater degrees through the abundance of those also that are those joints that supply us, that are a supply to us in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 5, it says that that day should, that day should overtake you as a thief. That's never going to happen to us. But why? Because you are all children of what? Of light. You are children of light and the children of the day. <laughs> the day. That's the eternal 
day brought about by the life that's been given to us, that eternal life in 1 John 5.11, that by that very life that Christ is in us, we might know and fellowship with not just the Son, but the Father. Again, that's brought out in John 17, 2 and 3, but clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is, this is what we are. We are children of the light and children of the day. You are not of the night, nor of the darkness of this evil world system. That's why we are completely different than anything about this world system. That's why it says in 1 John 2, in verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The trouble that we have, the trouble that we have in most things that cause us to trip up and get entangled in the world is the things of the world. And we make a differentiation between them. We think that because we're in Christ, we are loved by God, and we have the light of the Scriptures, that I can go back into the world and take the things of the world and still be safe. No, that's not true. Because we know that evil communications, evil companions, and anything of the world corrupt godly good manners in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. We see that clearly. Now, we are not of the, the darkness of the night, but we are of the day. Therefore, it says in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore, let us not sleep in passivity as believers. Sleep, just like the rest of the world. They're just sleeping and comfortable in the world, not knowing that judgment is impending. Now, there isn't any for us, but we can sleep just like the world through going after the things of the world. Do, let us not sleep as, as do others, but let us what watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep where? In the night. In the night. And they that be drunken are what? Are drunken in the night. And this is not only in terms of alcohol, but it's a spirit. Drunk. And Christians can act just like the world outside of God's love and his light. Just like the world. Just like that. Be coming under the atmosphere and being overtaken so that we don't think soberly anymore in Christ and in his love, that deep love that he loves us. This is what makes it so very necessary for us as we read these scriptures and the preponderance of them all, and again, as where we started in, in, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and ended up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then we went into the right teaching that we all need to have based upon First uh, John chapter 2, right down to the 15th verse, because the world system, the things that are in the world, here's the things that are in the world. When it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the things that are in the world in First John 2, 15 are no, are no different than the very evil world itself. They are the things that cause, that actuate in the believer the, the lusts of the flesh. The lust of, the, what are the things in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those things with the world system are on a collision course with eternity, never to be heard from again. Never. Thank God for that. But here in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, again, it says it again in verse in verse. In, Verse 8, that you were sometimes darkness, but now you are children of, of what? You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of what? 
of light. There wasn't a thing about our precious Lord that, that the world had at one single place in him. Not, and not even the world, never mind, and not even the things of the world. The things of the world he had nothing to do with. Neither do we if we walk in the light. If we walk in the light. The light of, of his love that's positioned us in the sun of his love where he's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness and, 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 and placed us into the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. But I think it's very, under, very uh, interesting to understand that even in Colossians 1 and verse 12, he made us meet, he qualified us. What were the qualifications that he's given us? He's given us everything that we need to keep us out of the world and away from the things of the world. He's given us everything. And what, what is it that in Colossians 1 and verse 12, what is the substance of those things that he's given us? Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints where? In light. You see, in 1 John 1, 7, we see that that whole fellowship in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Three, and that we can have corporately and share it in the fourth verse is the reality of the fact that our very character is the light that Christ is in us and who we are in him. That's 1 John 1, 7. Many times that's taught a conduct of behavior. It's not. When it says walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. God has given us everything in Christ to be able to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. When we walk in the light, when we walk in the light of who we are in His love. And it's a very important thing to understand for all of us. Now, we were that, but now we are children of the light. Now here, the light is the very expression of who Christ is and who we are in him. That's why he says again, when we go again to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and this is a constant reminder and constantly uh, with, the, with the proper preaching and teaching that we so desperately need constantly and continuously, it says in, in Ephesians 5, where it says this, again, I'm going to read it. For you were, in verse 8, you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light, where? In the Lord. That's our position. We are positioned in the light of who Christ is. When I walk in the light of who he is, I experience the love of the Father through the Son and including me, each of us individually. So we're to, in the Lord, walk as children of the light. And up means that's everything who we are. The word of means constituted of the exact same substance. We are constituted of the substance of who Christ is as the light that came out from this love-life relationship that is still going on and still did the whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth. He was still in the bosom of the Father in terms of his deity in John 1, verses 1 and 2. But then he came out, and the Word was made flesh, made by God, we know in Luke 1, verse 35. And, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, filled up with all that grace and truth is. And if he's filled up with all that grace and truth is, in his humanity, in tabernacling it, is that who we are in him? Yes, 
because Colossians 2.9 brings that out clearly, where it says that Jesus Christ, and it says again in the King James, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Koine Greek New Testament makes it very clear and precise that he, the whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was filled up with all of who God is. And then in Colossians 2.10, in the King James, it says you are complete in him. But what it says in the original, again, Koine Greek New Testament, is that you are filled up in him. Imagine that. All the light that we need is Christ in us. We already have it. Do we submit to it? Do we obey it? Do we do it quickly? Because it's delayed obedience, obedience. And does obedience have to do with love? And can I know that I'm loved without the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ that the glory of God that shines out through the very face of Jesus Christ, this is brought out again where the enemy <clears throat> if it says, and, and this is what is brought out about him in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. When I function in the flesh, what I function as, just like the world, lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds, and really that means hardened, the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel that shines through the face through the face of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. And boy, the enemy, he, he acts as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, to cause us to be very, those very ministers. Meaning, people don't learn about Christ through what we say. It's how we live our life in their presence. And then we can become that minister, and God forbid, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15, but we're not that in our position. Now, <clears throat> this is where it goes on and says here in verse 9 of, of Ephesians 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. This all has to do with the love that God is. This is brought out in the very nature of God himself in Exodus 34 and verse 6. And his nature is in, is in control and one with all of his attributes, things that are attributed to him in his nature and character. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. What is? What is acceptable unto the Lord? And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That means nothing about this world system. Nothing, nothing about it. It's movies, it's thought process, all of this. We're to have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Not a single thing. Not a single thing that are we to have anything to do with it. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of what? Darkness, but rather what? Reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Boy, does this go into some details. The lifestyle of Hollywood and all their actors. And we go watch them perform. God forbid. And it, it, and it does mean it goes way beyond that. It's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole lifestyle that's brought out in the world system in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 16, right to, to the 20s, to the end there, in Genesis, the fourth chapter. But it says this, again, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. A lot of bragamonies going on with Christians when they want you to know what they used to be 
and almost in a, in a braggadocio way talk about what they did even more than who they are in Christ. It's a shame to even speak of those things which are done in secret. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do because our secret, the secret sin, is in the light of his countenance in Psalm 90 and verse 8. But all things that are reproved, and reproved here means discovered, but all things that are discovered are made manifest by the light. Why do you think a lot of believers don't want to come and be taught? Why? Because men, in John 3, 17 to 22, men love darkness rather than light because if they come to the light, their, their deeds, the way they live their life, is going to be discovered. They would rather keep it, keep that secret lifestyle. But it's, not, it's, it's one thing to hide it from others. It's one thing to hide it from Christians. It's another thing to do it glaringly in the presence of of Almighty God in the presence of His love and His light towards us. So we're not to have it. But all things that are discovered are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore, He says, Awake you that sleeps. He said the same thing to Israel in Isaiah 60 in verse 1. Wherefore, He says, Awake you that sleep, Christian, that's sleeping in the world system, living like the world, dressing like it, going to the particular places that they do, and doing all of these things in that particular lifestyle. Wherefore, he says that, awake from that type of sleep, passive and convenient, sleeping and laziness and spiritual laziness, and arise from what? The dead that dead life that you're no longer anymore. And Christ will give you light. Who will he give it to? He will give us a true experience of that love life. He will, and it will be a right experience. And we talked about experience and feelings yesterday, but the truth is proper feelings or proper experience always lead to continual dependence upon his love and light. Always. It never goes away from him. It always teaches us that. It doesn't teach us, the Word never teaches us to take this experience of what we have and make that our own and go around and parade it. Never. That comes out in a lot of false, evil, bad teaching. So notice what it says. Wherefore he says, he says, Awake you that sleep and arise from the dead, spiritual dead, living like the world, and Christ will give you light. See then, that's when you see. See proper teaching and preaching. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, a self-confident fool. You see that in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. A fool is, has all the confidence in himself. He's more interested in his opinions than what the Scriptures declare. And of course, we know that uh, the thought in Proverbs 24 and verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin, is living in that nature. Instead, instead, not as fools, but as wise. As wise, walking in Christ. Who did God make Christ to be unto us? Wisdom. That's right. Knowing when, where, and how to apply the word. But you've got to have that teaching knowledge first. He's made unto us wisdom, 
righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. According as it is written, he that glories in 1 Corinthians 1 and 31, let him glory in the Lord. And he's going back again, speaking to us and spoke constantly to Israel in Jeremiah the ninth chapter in verses 23 and 24, that they should not boast. And we are not to boast in these things, but we're to lovingly experience them and declare them by the conduct of how we live. Remember, it's how we live that teaches others about Christ. It's not what we say. Now, and, and both can be true. <laughs> both can be true. And hopefully, as we grow in grace, and we all are in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, that will be true. Then we redeem the time, all that time that was lost. Maybe it was last week, maybe it was a few days ago when we begin to sleep just like the world. And God can come in and, and give us instant, the redeem the time because the days are filled up with ponderous evil and active opposition to God's divine good. For himself, the goodness of himself, again, this is his nature in Exodus 34 and verse 6, but that goodness that extends to us through Christ. Now, here we see this then. We're to, we're to awake from sleep and Christ will give us light. But then after this, what does he add to us? Stop being drunk with wine. Now, of course, the Bible goes into wine, the literal drinking of wine, in Proverbs 20, verse 1, and in Proverbs 23 and verse 31, yes. But this is walking as a Christian, like drunk, and walking like a drunk, soberly, un unsober in the world system. Meaning, I'm not thinking properly. I mean, I can declare it to you, but how I live my life is it the same. Well, again here, again here, he says, stop being drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of bad teaching that goes into this too, by the way. But the right teaching is be constantly. So if I understand this in the original, it's a past tense, present active participle. And without getting too much into these cases, the mood, the tenses, and the voices of the original Koine Greek New Testament, it simply means this, that at one point you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now from that point on, continue to walk in Him. That's what this is teaching. It's not teaching that He gives you a special portion of the Holy Spirit to do service for Christ, like some teach that. It's not at all what it says here. Not at all. At all. It doesn't mean that at all. It just, he means stop being drunk with wine where is in excess under the world system through Satan. Remember, he can't touch opposition. He can't in 1 John 5, 18, but he goes after our experience. See, it's not what we say, it's how we live our life. If I have a proper experience, and I can feel great about his love, but it's always going to lead me to dependence. It's never going to be separated from that. You see, you can't separate light. You cannot separate light from love. You just can't do that. It's, it's it, it, because they're one in the nature of who God is expressed through Jesus Christ. Now, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we know through the teaching of the scriptures in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. That's Christ. We received him, that eternal life in 1 John 5, 11. And by that life, we escape the lusts, patterns, that are in the world. They're in us, but when I go to the world, they're actuated. 
through the prince and power of the air, and we go about fulfilling them, all, all the while declaring things of Christ, the things that are ours in our position, but yet not experiential yet. So he says, be filled. We are made partakers of the divine nature, which is light, which is light. But the truth is, in ourselves, in ourselves, without functioning in the treasure that's in us, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, what are we? We're fragile clay jars. We're these poor human creatures without Christ, experientially, without him. We are what? And this is what it's teaching us. This is what these verses are teaching us. We are powerless in ourselves. And it has to be the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the only power that we have for everything. See, we either function under the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the world. As believers, only one or the other. This has to do with experience, proper experience, based upon a proper new nature that is ours in Christ, positioned in Him, and a brand new image and identity. Fact of the matter is, again, this is God's mind. What is God's mind? What is he revealing to us here in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and all the way down through? This is what he's revealing to us, that it is everything for God, and he's done every single thing. He has finished everything through his son for you and I to have fellowship with him. Isn't that amazing? He's done everything for us to have fellowship with him. If I don't have fellowship with him, I will have fellowship in some area with the world system. And thank God, he's, his love protects us through the light of the knowledge of that love life that's been made ours in Christ. Now, he himself, through, through giving us his son and us receiving his son, he has put us before himself in love. Notice that? He has put us in Christ, before himself in love. That's our proper walk in 1 John 2, 6 and 1 John 1, 7. It is. That's our proper walk. And we follow in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 in his footsteps. In his footsteps. And so again, we see here, as we begin to wrap this up this morning here, that he has put himself before us, positioned us before him in the love of his son. Imagine that. Just think about that. He has made us sons and daughters. That's he, he's done that. He's already made us that in Romans 8 and verse 15, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He's made us his sons and daughters. He's made us, listen to this, the object of the very delight of his love. God delights to love us. He delights to love us. And because of that, then he should be the one object of our delight and nothing in this world system to tarnish and do away and darken that love and dim that love in us. It is with the Father as sons and daughters, and in this, Christ himself is the firstborn among many brethren. That's Romans 8 and verse 29. He's the firstborn, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28. He is the firstborn, the firstborn. 
and we become firstborn in him through receiving him in John 1, 12. Okay, he, be, he gave us, when we received him, the power to become what? The sons of God. The sons of God. He gave us that power. Now, we have that power, and that power is Christ, and we're kept by it in 1 Peter 1, 5. But the power to experience it is God the Holy Spirit. It is God the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, to keep us in a proper position of Galatians 5 and verse 24, knowing we already are crucified. And everything about the old, the old desires, the old lust patterns, the old things in the world that we once went after. And what's the constant temptation from the enemy to leave the delight of his love and intimacy and go back to those same things again? The dog that returns to the vomit. In Proverbs 26 and verse 11, I much prefer Proverbs 25 verse 11. Words aptly, very skillfully spoken, are like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And this is his love, the gold and deity of his love that in silver has redeemed us and bought us back to him so he can love us. And that's all he wants to do. Why does he want us to obey him? So he can love us. The deep desire that he's done everything to accomplish that. He's done everything. The second thing that we have is union, oneness in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. He's, he's made, given us union with Christ. Listen, now glorified. We are to walk in the glory, the glorification of his love through the light of Jesus Christ in us. See, we can't do it on our own. And that's why we have two intercessors, two comforters. Jesus in heaven in Romans 8 and verse 34, and in Hebrews 9, uh, 24, and Hebrews 7, verse 25. And then we have the Holy Spirit in us as the Holy, as the Holy One who intercedes for us in Romans 8 and verse 26. Who can take but only we groan and can't even reach the fulfillment of and, and, and brings the realization out of it and they both work together, Christ in heaven and, and the Holy Spirit on earth to bring us into the oneness of that love through the light of the scriptures just as he's given us this truth this morning. And so we have that. We are members of his body, his flesh and bone. This is brought out in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. It's brought out in the truth of body life in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, which with each of us in our own individuality, a member in particular in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. We are in a life-giving force, a love life, completely united to him as members to a head. Colossians 1.18 and 2.19, Christ is the head, we're his body. When I submit my body to my head, the love life and light flows to me, something that I can't do and don't have on my own. It's been made mine. But since God himself, through Jesus Christ, is the source, we need to submit to that headship. We need to submit to it. And if, 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 if the head of every man is Christ, truly in every area, then the head of the woman will be who? The man in Christ and no other. Because no other man is fit to be the head 
of the woman in Colossians 3 and verse 18, based upon 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Uh, and, and, and 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, to keep out the subtlety in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the subtlety thinking that I am ahead when I live just like the world, and I do it right in front of my wife, and I bring her in on it with me. God, you know, and he forbids it in his love, the command, an imperative command of his love. So I can't get closer to him than being a member of his body can't get any closer. That's why the book of Ephesians brings out the height and intimacy of a particular people group called the church, his body, his bride, that are in, that for all eternity will be in a close, intimate relationship above all people groups. He loves all, but those that we have, those of us that are in Christ, because you never hear about that in the Old Testament, ever. You never hear it. You just hear a kingdom, Christ coming and ruling and reigning over them. Many are born again, yes. Many were born again, but not anyone became a member of the church until Christ was literally crucified and sent down the Holy Spirit to form the church in Acts the second chapter. And never mind the nonsensical teaching of those that will say it didn't happen in Acts the second chapter. They will say it happened in Acts the ninth chapter, 13th chapter, 22nd chapter, and 28th chapter. It happened in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. This is where it happened. But again, this is where all this truth is brought out. But what? We can't get any closer to him than being a member of his body. Imagine that. He's the head, we're the body. You, you don't get any closer in intimacy. And so, again, it's brought out <clears throat> that we are in the same glory that Christ is. Now, his glory is, there's a glory that he has, that he has in John 17 and verse 24 that they have in terms of the Trinity. That's something that no, no created being could, has ever seen or ever has in John 1 and verse 18 because in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, he abides in a light that no man can approach unto. That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Christ came out as that light to bring us into this love life. See, we don't have love until we submit to him who is this God who is love. Again, that's brought out in 1 John, the fourth chapter, in a very beautiful way. And you can follow it all the way through. Follow that all the way through in that chapter, and you'll get a beautiful correlation of it. So here, this goes into this fact, that this relationship, and that's what we are in. God is the God of relationship through Jesus Christ. He's not the God of religion or humanism, right? Humanizing God and deifying humanity. What humanity can do for God and all this evil, wrong teaching. No, he's the God of relationship. And this relationship gives us this indissoluble, this unbreakable union of Christ and the church. You see, you can't separate Christ from his church. can't do that. That's why it says that. There's no condemnation in Romans 8 and verse 31. That's why no one can separate us in 835 of Romans. And that's why there'll never be any separation in 839 of Romans. There won't be any of that. And there isn't positionally. Now, husbands, love your wives in 525. Watch the flow. 5-1. 
flowing now to relationships with wives. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And look what he did. He gave himself for it. He didn't just take care of everything about it and leave it. Having done all of that, he gave himself. And even before they experienced, even before you and I experienced a thing, he gave himself for us. God's greatest gift in John 3, verse 16. He gave himself for it. And when the husband functions in this love life, then the wife will reverence Christ and her husband as her proper head. Now, that's true about us. And this is true about us here as husbands that have wives in Ephesians 5 and verse 25. But truly and truthfully, this is a figure of Christ in the church. That's what marriage brings out, this intimate relationship. I've said this time and time again. I can have the most closest friends and the deepest fellowship with members of the body in a local assembly. But I know one thing. When I go into my bedroom with my wife, I close the door because no one else is going there in there with me because it's a very deep and intimate relationship. There is an intercourse, an exchange of a love life. That's why sex is not love. It's an expression of love. It's not a lust, something that's the exact antithesis to what love is. And But though you and I, though you and I are united to him, and we are, he still remains ever preeminent. We'll get into this more, much more, again, on Thursday. We will get into this much more again. But we're going to leave it with this, that we are united to him, but he still remains as ever preeminent. He's ever preeminent. We know that in Colossians 1 and verse 18. And what gives you and I uh, this value to this particular relationship that we have in Christ is the necessary preeminence in it. It keeps it that way. As in everything about who Christ is and what he's accomplished because he did it in his own eminency. Had nothing to do with us. Had nothing. Romans, and we'll get into this on Thursday, Romans chapter 5, and you follow it 1 through 5, but look at it. The fulfillment of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, was brought out in 6 through 11. Follow that through. 6 through 10, precisely so that we can experience the joy of the Father and what he's accomplished through his Son, and that's in Romans 5, verse 11. But here, here we will close with this. This eminence preeminence of Christ is brought out and it's brought out and it was brought out by God on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 through 5. It's brought out clearly there. When Moses and Elijah, Elijah, Elijah were on the mount there, on the mountain with the Lord, they were in the same glory that he was. Now we've been given this glory in John 17 and verse 22, but it came from his preeminence. But we've been given it that glory. So John 17 verse 22 brings out the reality that we have Christ in us, Colossians 1:27, the hope, the guarantee of glory. We're on our way to glory. We pass through suffering, but we're on our way to glory. That's why nothing that we suffer can be compared to that glory in Romans 8:18. 8, 
We will thank God that we were able to pass through it. And he counted us worthy to do so. We will. We'll never again question him about anything about us because we're the dot and he's the circle. All things, all things, what? Are for our sakes in 2 Corinthians 4.15. All things are of God in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18. And that's why all things, when we realize this and submit in obedience to his love and not argue with him about our circumstances and situations of which he placed us in, of which in his love he measured to the degree. And, and, and we are still above it in him in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. We will see, we will see this in the most phenomenal, spectacular way for all eternity in our depth of fellowship with him in, in Revelations 2 and verse 17. But again, all three of them are there. Peter, James, and John are there. They witness Moses and Elijah there. This is brought out. What's brought out here is Moses is all the Old Testament saints. Elijah is all those that were raptured because he never tasted death in Genesis 5 and verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Same thing he did with Elijah. He took him. That's us, raptured. But then there were still saints that are living on the earth. And that is brought out by Peter, James, and John. But in all that, who has the preeminence? Watch. The, watch. They were with him in intercourse. A marriage relationship. Intercourse. Married with him. That's why the marriage bed is holy and undefiled. In Hebrews 13 and verse 4. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And that's not just in a physical sense. That's in a spiritual sense also is brought out clearly in the scriptures. But here we see, as we close this morning, that they were all in intercourse with him. But even then, the moment that Peter talks about making, like man's going to make something for God, a lot of bad teaching there, a lot of evil, false teaching. The moment Peter talks about making three tabernacles, one for each of them, Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus Christ, the moment he does that, the moment he does that, putting them on an equality with God, putting a pastor on a plane, an equal plane with Christ. The wonder Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 32, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. That's Christ. That's who it is. Not a man, not an apostle, not a pastor, not a board of elders, not a bishop, none of this. Not a pope or a priest. No. None are on an equal plane with he who is eminent in his own right and his own self. No, sir. Not happening. The moment he puts them on an equality, that's where you hear the Father's voice. He comes in and he owns his son and his son only. And Moses and Elijah at once, what? They disappear. They disappear. You know what the true servant, the true pastor does? He preaches and te teaches Christ. He disappears and Christ becomes eminent. Preeminent in each of us. That's why when we come in the local assembly, we don't gather around the pastor. We gather around Christ because he's the head and we're his body. The moment he did that, Why? This is the truth, and so this must always be. He always has that preeminence in his love. That's why this is going to be brought out on Thursday. We're never called children of love. 
but we're children of light. So, Father, we thank you and praise you uh, for this truth. Thank you for this love life that you've brought us into because Jesus came out with that light. And in that light, he brought us back into a loving relationship with you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.